like the Statue of Liberty reminds us of, the, of our liberty and, and that we enjoy in our country. The, the cross reminds us of the price that, that Christ paid, the liberty that he bought us to be uh, free, to be saved from the punishment for our sins, from, our, the, from the bondage to sin, and that he gives us that, that freedom through his blood that he purchased us with. And uh, that we will remember at the, uh, at the end of our service this morning when we remember uh, that redemption, that uh, uh, breaking of Christ's body and shedding of his blood for us, uh, as this is the first Sunday of the month, we'll remember that at the end of the service with our uh, remembrance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, this morning, if you'd turn with me, we'll be in, we'll be in Jeremiah. Uh, we'll start in uh, chapter 18 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 18, as you see, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reference chapter 6 as well. I'll also reference Proverbs and Ezekiel, but mostly we'll be in uh, Jeremiah chapter 18 this morning. Again, as we look forward to this Wednesday's re remembrance of our nation's independence and what we often call, you know, the birthday of our country on July 4th, 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was, was adopted, it would later be signed, and of course the independence won uh, through the War for Independence, which had begun a year earlier. About a year prior to the, the 100th uh, celebration of our independence, uh, celebration of the, the uh, anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, there was a book called The uh, Centennial History of the United States. And uh, by the way, we're this week celebrating the 242nd birthday of our nation, 242nd anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And just about a year prior to the 100th, just the 100th uh, birthday of our nation, a historian named uh, Henry Davenport Northrup um, put out a history book where he gave a, uh, a preface explaining uh, the purpose of his history book, which was not just to be a school book and not just to be uh, a very... A thorough study that you know college students and professors would study for history, but rather to be a popular work that people would read and and uh, better understand their history. And he said some interesting things in that preface. I'll go ahead and read that that to you. He starts out by saying, "There is nothing more worthy of a man's study than the history of his country. In our own land, however." The means of pursuing such a study is limited. That's why he goes on to explain why he's writing uh, this history. I'll skip a few sentences down. The demand for a popular history of the United States, which shall fill us a place between the greater and smaller works, has led this author to the preparation of this volume. He has endeavored to popularize the story of the nation and at the same time neglect nothing that could be in the least contribute to a clear and comprehensive understanding of the subject. 
and he has sought to trace the history of the Republic from the discovery of an American continent to the present day and has endeavored to especially fix the attention of the reader on various influences which have aided in the molding of our national character and have produced these distinctive polity, uh, uh, political and moral natural traits, national traits, which we call the American traditions and uh, institutions. He has endeavored to write from a broad national standpoint and to cultivate in our minds, of the, in the minds of the readers, the feeling of a national patriotism, which must ever be the safeguard of our country. It is a fitting time to consider the story of the past, to learn the lessons which it teaches and to ponder the warnings which it conveys for the future. On the 4th of July, 1876, the United States of America will complete the first century of their national existence. The people of this country can look back upon this period with pride and in this feeling may justly embrace the whole course of our history. Less than 400 years ago, America, yeah, 400 years ago, writing from 1875, uh, 1875, of course. Uh, less than 400 years ago, America was an unknown wilderness. Less than three centuries ago, it was passed into the hands of England and was secured for uh, the language and free influences of the Anglo-Saxons. It was a precious heritage which was thus secured for liberty a land stretching from the frozen regions of the north to the sunny skies of the tropics, from the stormy Atlantic to the calm Pacific, a land embracing every variety of climate and soil capable of producing almost every product of the earth, from the stunted herbage to the frozen regions of the luxuriant uh, fruits of the tropics. The earth is rich in mineral deposits from the homely but invaluable veins of coal to beds of the most brilliant and precious mil uh, minerals. It pours out in its streams oil for, for burning, gas that may be used to refresh uh, fresh from natural springs, salt that requires but the heat of the sun for its perfection, and beds of pure soda that cover the earth like the dust in the highways. In short, all this is needed for the preservation and comfort of the animal and human life that exists in this favored and uh, greatest profusion. Such, he goes on to say, such is the land designed by God for the home of liberty. The people to whom he has entrusted it have not abused his goodness. At least that was his opinion at that time, uh, looking back on going on 100 years of history of the United States. In, in the short space of two centuries, the American people, that's counting the colonial period, of course. In the short space of two centuries, the American people have grown from a small handful of hardy adventurers to a mighty continental nation, increasing with rapidity and almost marvelous. Um, that is almost marvelous. They have built up their country on the scale of, magnific of magnificence of which they are justly proud. They have covered it with the powerful and free states and splendid states connected by a network of railways, uh, telegraphs, navigable rivers, canals, which bind all the scattered parts into one solid whole. And he goes on, to, uh, I'm going to skip down. Oh, yes, here we go. They have 
made a commerce in a system of manufactures which the fabled wealth of Tyre sinks into significance. Speaking of Tyre of the Bible times, a trading city of the Phoenicians um, just north of Israel. They have created a literature which commands the respect of the world. They have illustrated the history with deeds of arms no less splendid than uh, the, uh, the more peaceful achievements and have given the world names in every walk of life that will never die. They have shown that liberty and power can go hand in hand. They have made themselves a nation in which God is feared and of which Christianity is the basis in which ignorance and vice are despised, in which the great lesson that liberty is possible only to an educated and virtuous people is being practically demonstrated. This is a grand history, a record of the highest achievements of humanity, the noblest, most thrilling and glorious story ever penned on earth. Yet the fact remains that the great mass of the American people are but imperfectly acquainted with it. There is a real need that we should know better than we do what we have done. It is only by a thoughtful study of our past that we can safely provide for the perils of the future. We have triumphed over adversity. We are now called upon to bear the test of success. He can be no good citizen who is ignorant of his country's history. In the preparation of this volume, no authority of importance has been overlooked. And, of course, he goes on to... Um, give a little bit more description. An honest effort has been made to do justice to both um, sections of the Civil War. He goes on to say, to write a national history free from sectional partisan bias, which would be acceptable to the whole country. This book is offered to the public in a sincere hope that it may induce its reader to take to heart the lessons which our history teaches and set a higher value upon the precious heritage of a constitutional liberty which our fathers won for us with their blood and handed down to us in trust for our children's children. October 19th, 1875. So that, that's an interesting preface, interesting. I found, um, I, I originally came across uh, a later version of his history book that came out in 1898 that Pastor Netzer had on his bookshelf. And then I looked for other versions of that and found this uh, centennial version, which was actually very cheap. Somebody was practically throwing it away for like $15 or something like that. And uh, uh, found that introduction. He gives the exact same preface to his 1898 version that Pastor Netzer had. And it's, I found it very Interesting that the credit that he gives, of course, to God in giving us this country and the importance he put on knowing your past and knowing to, to go back to the right path. And so as we look back um, this week at our, uh, the fact that you know, our nation has a heritage, it has a history, a history that tends to be maligned nowadays um, and those People who tend to malign the American in our history tend to also be in favor of things that, as Christians, we'd be against and uh, against things that we are for and such things uh, as far as morality and, uh, and Christianity are concerned. Not always, certainly. But 
in Jeremiah 6 and 18, we find three ways that, like the author of this uh, history book refers to as going back and looking at our history and knowing the old paths, how did we get reach the level of success that we currently enjoy as far as freedom and, and multitude of other areas, uh, even our economy? How is it that we came to be blessed so richly? And Jeremiah 6 and 18 finds, uh, we, we find three ways in that passage in which God deals with nations that demonstrate why it is so important. And I'm sorry, that's partly off the screen there. Uh, but why it is so important to go back to the old paths, to search out, to know how did we get to where we are today? And a few weeks ago when I was last year for an evening service, we looked at some of that um, content uh, of our history and how we have a Christian heritage to the point where at one point in our history, in the 1800s, the Supreme Court of the United States actually claimed, actually made a statement from the U.S. Supreme Court that America is a Christian nation and that the laws that they, including the profanity laws that they were upholding with that court ruling, uh, need to protect that heritage, need to protect Christianity as our culture, as we are a Christian nation. And of course, that changed in about 1952 when the court, Supreme Court, con and I don't believe that our government should allow the Supreme Court to dictate this, to allow five lawyers to, on the bench to, in black robes to decide, what, what uh, the whole law is for the country, but it's, it's, it's come down to that in the recent decades. In 1952, you know, the Supreme Court cited uh, the separation of church and state and began to talk about that ever since as there's a wall of separation uh, between the church and the state and therefore that can't be bridged and, and they, they took a letter of Thomas Jefferson's out of context, that, that phrase is not in the Constitution, and reinterpreted the First Amendment to mean no religious influence should be in our public schools. They took the, shortly after that, they took the Bible, they took prayer out of the public schools. And of course, that is uh, one of the reasons that we have a Christian school here. One of the reasons that Christian schools, which used to be very small in number, uh, about 2,000 at the time that Bible and prayer were taken out of the public schools, uh, increased very quickly uh, to the t to tens of thousands in this country, uh, as as many parents recognize the problems that come with taking God out of education, from taking God's word and prayer out of education. And in Jeremiah six and eighteen, we first find the first way in which God deals with nations that we can look to. Of course, this primarily deals with the nation of Israel, but also some principles in general for nations. How does God deal with nations? And that is why it is so important to align ourselves with his will, his way. Um, first of all, if you look with me at chapter 18 of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 9, we find that God molds and builds a nation that yields itself to his ways. Now, particularly, he did this for the nation of Israel. But you can see his hand even in nations and empires of the past that have followed biblical principles, uh, even in Britain and the United States and other countries. There are still some countries uh, that, that uh, 
are Christian. There's a uh, country in, in Africa that it, called Zambia that still teaches creation in the public schools and is, uh, identifies itself as a Christian nation. There are, I believe, others, um, other nations in the world, such as uh, you know, Haiti. Uh, Haiti, I believe, their religion is actually Satanism or something to that effect, voodoo, all of that, and uh, the, the terrible effects of the history they've had, the nation of Haiti. Uh, not that that would excuse us from ignoring their need for the gospel, need for help, and many mission we support missionaries even t uh, from our church to that to that nation. But uh, the history of Haiti was one that basically the slaves uh, overthrew their um, masters and, and slaughtered every all the French people on that island and set up their own government, and it's never been a successful one. But there's uh, countries around the world that have established Muslim or. Uh, or communist governments that completely go the opposite direction of scriptural principles. And uh, you can see uh, how, when that has happened, in many ways those nations have suffered uh, terrible consequences for those. And we look at our own history and we can see how uh, we've been blessed. And you can see how when uh, Israel, in the Old Testament, when they followed the principles that God laid out for them, they were blessed. When they went along with what the pagan nations around them were doing and followed them and uh, worshipped other gods, uh, they were punished. And so let's look at uh, Jeremiah 18, starting at verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, saying, Arise. And go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then says Jeremiah, I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, on the potter's wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so that he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the, master's, in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now we saw this in our study of Jonah. We saw that Nineveh was a nation. Nineveh was a people, a city that God determined to pluck out and to destroy. But he sent Jonah as a messenger as a prophet to warn that city. And when they turned, like clay in a potter's hand, God changed what he was going to do, the judgment that he had pronounced, and at least delayed that judgment. Eventually, Nineveh went back. It reverted back to its old, ungodly, pagan, um, immoral behavior, and God did judge Nineveh. He did destroy Nineveh. But that, was, that did not happen uh, when Jonah was there watching. It did not happen at that time and for years to come because they repented. 
And God is reminding Israel that they have an opportunity here in Jeremiah. As Jeremiah is the prophet bringing the warning to them, they have the opportunity to turn and to repent. And they have the examples of other kingdoms that God has dealt with. They have the exact example of their own nation. If they were to go back and study their own history, going back to the time of the judges or even to the wandering in, in, in the wilderness for 40 years, if they just went back and looked at their own history and understood how God had dealt with their nation from the time that he called Abraham to the present day in which they're being ruled by kings and uh, false prophets that are leading that nation astray and the people at large are following that if they were to heed the warnings and repent turn from their sins and get right with God God would have delayed judgment he would have protected them and provided mercy and reshaped them and remolded them back into a vessel that he could use and so nations are tools in God's hand like clay in the hand of a potter. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon who would conquer Judah shortly after Jeremiah writes this book, or, or these particular passages in this book of prophecy, he would also find, as we find recorded in the book of Daniel, that God is sovereign when it comes to nations and that Nebuchadnezzar didn't receive his power because of his own genius, his own might, but because God allowed him. God used Nebuchadnezzar as a tool to punish Israel and other nations around Israel, around Judah. And when Nebuchadnezzar became lifted up with pride, God humbled him and brought him to a place where he recognized God's power and authority in raising up his nation above the other nations of that time and empires. But God works in such a way that if we as the people you know, of our nation, of our country, in the United States, if, if we as individuals, if we as families and churches in our nation were to turn back to God, point our culture back to God. God can still do a great work and use America for good in the world as he continues as, to do so through the many churches that send missionaries throughout the world. And uh, you know, I pray that that time will continue, that God will continue to protect us as we do have many enemies in the world, whether the Islamic terrorists and, such as uh, ISIS or um, the Al-Qaeda and others, or, or whether rogue regimes in Iran or um, North Korea, and uh, the very real threats in, in foreign governments, but also in our own governments, of people who want to secularize our country, want to change it, want to alter our culture, and take us down a path that could lead to uh, a reversal of a lot of the liberty we enjoy in this country, and could um, bring our country down even economically. And we need to be praying for our leaders, for our, our nation. But we can do our own part in our own lives to follow the right path that God lays out in Scripture, that we've seen in the example of history, whether 
history of Israel in the Bible and other nations in the Bible or in the history of our own nation. To look and listen and heed the warnings. If you would keep uh, your place there in chapter 18 of Jeremiah and turn with me to chapter 6 now and verse 16 in Jeremiah. Going back to chapter 6 and verse 16. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. And that was Judah's great error. Now, they would later, the remnant would turn back to God in the Babylonian captivity and God would bring them back out of captivity just as he promises in chapter 18 as clay in a potter's hand when the clay is marred as Israel was marred even after he took Judah into captivity in Babylon when they turned back to him and they had godly leaders that could lead them back to the worship of God such as Ezra or Nehemiah uh, God brought them back to their land and reestablished them. Of course, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel today is, is not related as God is primarily working through the church today. Um, not in replacing Israel. God still has a plan for Israel in the future where they will turn back and be molded again like clay in the potter's hand. But for the moment... Israel chooses to suffer the consequences of rejecting God's paths, rejecting the ancient paths that had brought them to the point in their history where they enjoyed um, the land that had been given to them in Palestine and the land of Canaan and uh, the government and the um, economy that they enjoyed and had set up in that land. And now they they come to a point where they're going to lose that for a time because they refuse. And this is the second, second way in which God deals with nations that we, we need to, to pay attention to, to notice, is that if a nation refuses to submit to God, God will judge and punish that nation. You know, there's, there's that opportunity. God presents opportunity after opportunity to turn again when things are going the wrong direction. And I, I'm grateful for ways that in our current administration, perhaps there are some of those turnings of, of our nation back in the right direction. But we need, as a people, from the, our own um, level, as individuals and as families and as churches, to turn uh, ourselves back to the right paths that God has for us. But if we reject God's way. If a nation as a whole, as the nation's leadership, God certainly holds the leadership accountable. In Elijah's time, you know, Elijah, for three years, he prayed that there be no rain, and there was no rain in Israel. And it got to the point at the end of that period of time when God did send the rain, when after God demonstrated by sending fire to consume the sacrifice that Elijah put on the altar to demonstrate God's power and that he was the one true God. And Israel acknowledged God and worshipped him. Elijah prayed and God sent the rain. 
But then immediately after that, the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel, were trying to hunt Elijah down. He runs for his life. And Elijah despaired and said to God, I'm the only one left. But God told him, you know, there are 700 people. There are, there are hundreds of people who have not worshipped a false god. And yet those people, those hundreds of people in Israel, they had never worshipped a false god, would have to suffer the consequences as they did for three years without rain of their leadership of their king and queen who were worshiping false gods and were leading the nation in that direction and so much comes down to leadership which is why in in uh in first timothy uh chapter three we're we're uh, chapter two we are told we must pray for those all those who are in authority for kings and all those in authority that we may live a, a quiet and peaceful life we need to remember to pray for our, our leadership because it could be that leadership that dis brings about God's judgment. Because when a nation doesn't submit itself to God, um, when, it, when the clay says no, if the, because unlike the clay that Jeremiah witnesses in the potter's hand, that clay doesn't have a free choice. It's molded by the potter. And when it, it is marred, when it begins to crumble, he just starts over and reshapes it. But for nations, we are given a choice. As individuals and families and churches, we are given a choice. Will we allow God to mold us and to shape us into what he wants us to be? Or will we harden ourselves against that? Look at what happens uh, in chapter 18 of Jeremiah, starting at verse 10. If it do evil in my sight, if a nation do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good. So the good things that God wants to bless our nation with, with bountiful harvests, with um, the, the freedoms that we enjoy, with a good economy, the things that he wants to bless us with, wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go to and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and and devise a device against you. Return ye now everyone from his evil way. Notice he's calling for individuals. Everyone turn from his evil way. And make your ways and your doings good. And they said, there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices. And we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ask ye now among the heathen, who hath heard such things? The virgin of Israel. Hath done a very horrible thing. And if you skip down now to verse 1 of chapter 19. Here's what happens when the clay hardens itself against the potter. When it's hardened and it cannot be reshaped. When a nation rejects God's way. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 19. Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen vessel, and take of the ancients of the people, and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth into the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim the words that I shall tell thee. If you skip down with me to verse 10 now, to verse 10 in chapter 19. 
Then shalt thou break the bottle, that clay vessel that is hardened. Thou shalt break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city, as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. There's going to be a lot of people in Judah that will suffer and die because of their hardening themselves against God as their master, as their potter, shaping them, not allowing him to shape them through the, old, through the law, through the prophets, including Jeremiah, who's being sent to warn them, and through even looking back to their own history, which they, they can look to. If you go back and, and keep your place there for a moment to chapter 6, where we looked at chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll go now to verse 17 in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6, in verse 17. Also, I set watchmen over you, and saying, uh, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. And then verse 18 Therefore, hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but have rejected it. Notice there's three witnesses there in bringing the justice and bringing the judgment upon the nation that rejects, and here is Israel, that rejects God. It's, uh, look at verse 19 and 18. Hear ye nations, that's the Gentile nations around Israel. O congregation, that's the nation of Israel itself, the congregation of Israel, the Jews. And 19, nature itself, the earth itself. O earth, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, that nation of Israel. The third way in which God deals with nations that I want us to, to notice here, uh, stay right there in verse, uh, chapter 6, if you would, with me. Look at verse 17. God appoints, God provides watchmen to warn a nation to turn back to him. And chapter 6, verse 17, God says, Also I set a watchman over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they say, We will not hearken. If you go back to chapter 18, verse 18, uh, Jeremiah is the watchman there. If you notice the, how they rejected him as the messenger, then said they, Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Ezekiel 3, I, I, for sake of time, I won't go to these passages, but I will mention Ezekiel 3, verses 16 through 21, and Ezekiel 33, 1 through 9. Ezekiel 3, 16, so Ezekiel 3, 16 through 21, and Ezekiel 33, 1 through 9. In both those passages, the same language is used. Ezekiel is called a watchman. God appoints Ezekiel to be a watchman for Israel. 
And Ezekiel is warned, what are the duties of a watchman? Well, the uh, watchman is a person who stands guard and he warns or he blows a trumpet for the people to warn the enemy is coming, that danger is near, that a movement is required, a change is needed, or this danger is going to come upon the nation. And there's going to be great destruction, great uh, calamity if they don't heed the warning. But if the watchman is watching and he sees the danger comes and does nothing, he doesn't tell anybody, he doesn't sound the trumpet, then the watchman is responsible. God gave the nation of Israel the watchman of the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Today, we in our nation, as believers, as the church, are to be watchmen for our country, to be involved, to, to vote, to be informed, to let our uh, congressmen uh, know uh, where we stand, but also to, especially, to give the gospel and to reach this culture with the transforming power of God's word. That is our, our duty, to be a watchman today to our own nation in America. Not simply one who watches and we see the danger, we recognize the danger, but we warn our nation of that danger and of the need to go back to the ancient paths. You know, so, so often you see in the public schools or in our government today, they're looking for answers. What, they recognize that there's problems and they're looking, what are the answers? How do we fix our education? How do we fix our economy? How do we fix our laws and our, our, our crime and the different needs in our society? If they were to go back and see, well, how did we reach success in the past? How did we teach people what needed to be taught in the past? If they go back to that and they go to the print, and of course, as believers, we have more than just the history of our country to look to. We have God's word and, and his principles and how. And we can recognize, even in, our, in the history of our own nation, how when our country um, had that respect, like the author of, of this history book had a respect for God's word and recognized the importance of the fear of God in society. Uh, what a difference that makes. George Washington, in his farewell address, when he left public office, when he left public life, he gave a farewell address that was for many decades, was studied in the public schools and was read and was paid attention to. And, and used as a precedent. Um, one of the things he referenced was that our nation cannot and continue to enjoy liberty and to enjoy prosperity if we forsake religion, if we forsake Christianity, if we forsake morality, that the system that our founders designed after declaring independence, in which the Declaration of Independence, by the way, mentions God, at least three times in there, as our creator um, and as you know, the, the, the author of liberty, the, that uh, we, there are God-given and alienable rights that, that God has placed, the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And uh, it was recognized. It was recognized that God exists and governs in the affairs of men. Even uh, Benjamin Franklin, who was known to be one of the least religious founding fathers, one of the le least re uh, religious founding fathers, 
asked for prayer at the Constitutional Convention when things were falling apart, there were so many disagreements over slavery and other things that threatened to prevent our nation from uh, putting into, uh, into place the Constitution that we now have enjoyed since uh, 1789, for over 200 years now. And uh, he asked that we, we pray because God governs in the affairs of men. And how can a nation rise without his aid? You know, um, I may post this uh, on the bulletin board with other uh, letters that we've been receiving from, mil uh, from missionaries. We have a legal alert that we get about every month. This one's from the Christian Law Association that, uh, that we support through our mission fund and giving. And there's an article in here, it mentions the state of faith in 2018. You know, at the, in 1952, when the uh, separation of church and state was brought to a level, an application that had never been used before to take the Bible and prayer out of public schools that would, as it would follow, and to also, you know, ban Christmas uh, displays in, in uh public, you know, government places and ten, take Ten Commandments out of the schools and things like that. At that time, it was stated even by the Supreme Court that 97% of America acknowledged a belief in God. That 97% of Americans believed in God. Um, there's some current statistics that are quoted here in an article called When I Think of America, the State of Faith in 2018. Today, in America, those who are 65 years of age or older, about 70% believe that there is a God, and about 65% believe uh, that, their, that their faith in God is very important, that their religion is very important uh, as, as Christians. And, uh, of course, that includes a lot of different denominations of Christianity but uh, still a large percent. But then when you get down to the baby boomer generation from those age 50 to 64, the percent drops to 69% that believe in God and only 59% say that their religion is, that religion is very important. And then when we get down to the millennial generation, uh, those who are age 30 to 49, um, excuse me, generation X before we get to the millennials, Generation X believes 62%, only 62%, falling all the way from 70 with age 65 and over, of age 30 and 49, believe in the existence of God. Only 51%, just over half, believe religion is important. And then we get to the millennials. Those age 18 to 29, only 51%, only half of millennials even believe God exists. And only 40% of those say that religion is important. So there's a great need to reach our country today with the gospel, especially the, 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 the millennial generation, 18 to 29, but even the generation coming up after that, it's called Generation Z. Um, it, it's, it's, it's getting worse or, or not improving. And there's a great need in our country today for us to be watchmen. We need to remember how God deals with nations. Abraham Lincoln once remarked that America would not fall to a foreign invader. But America could fall from within. 
uh, if we ourselves authored our own uh, fall, our own demise. And uh, so far, you know, that demise has been delayed, and uh, we pray that that would continue to be the case. But we need to take our nation back in the right direction. We need to pay attention to these three ways in which God deals with nations. How that God can mold and build us as a nation if we yield ourselves to His way. How we can be broken. How we will be judged if we reject God's ways. And how God sets us as believers, as watchmen, as those who provide warnings for our country to point our country back in the right way. Are we being that watchman? Are we moving our country, pointing our country in the right way to submit ourselves to God today? Let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll participate together in the Lord's Supper. And after the Lord's Supper, we'll have our, our, uh, the, the last song, the closing song, God of Our Fathers.